Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Robin Rosenberg, who's the CEO and founder of Live In Their World, a company built to help improve workplace culture using modern virtual reality tools. Uh, this is absolutely one of the coolest episodes that I've had a chance to record. Robin is a clinical psychologist. We talk a lot about the various things that shape our culture in the workplace, and more importantly, how is virtual reality useful in helping us build a more united, collaborative, diverse, and equal work environment. Check out this episode. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. You know how often we like to talk about culture, management, leadership. It's an important gig, and especially in today's culture of 2021, you would think that we've mastered leadership, that we've figured out leadership, and yet we continue to see story after story of people who um, were unhappy with their bosses, that were unhappy with their companies, maybe even mismanaged or uh, mistreated in their companies. We're talking today about how can you as the boss or as a leader within your company how do you develop a culture and an environment where people understand one another, where they respect one another, where every voice is actually heard? How do you develop that culture where people actually love to work, not just for you, but they love the company as a whole? We're going to be talking about that today. And it's actually, this is going to be, I think, one of my favorite episodes because we're not just talking about leadership. We're talking about pairing leadership with virtual reality, which you may be thinking, wait, did I miss something? What, what happened here? It's like, yes, we're actually be talking about virtual reality today. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Rose, uh, excuse me, Dr. Robin Rosenberg. She has a PhD in psychology. She's, she's an assistant clinical professor at the University of California, and she's the CEO and founder of Live in Their World, a company that helps improve workplace culture using modern virtual reality. It's going to be such a cool episode. We're excited to talk about it. Dr. Rosenberg, or should I call you Robin? Which one do you prefer? Whatever you prefer. Okay. Robin, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Blake. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I, I have been a um, PhD candidate. I've been ABD for like ever. And so I try to make sure when someone actually has their doctorate to give them the option of what they would prefer, <laughs> which most people don't <laughs> care. But I always like to ask because, uh, you know, it's a lot of work went into that. And so um, I appreciate that. Absolutely. We're, we're happy to have you on. I did actually, now that I'm joking about this, I met someone who um, she was uh, in an HR position in her company in a fortune 500. And we were just talking about her PhD. And I said, Hey, so where did you, what was your dissertation on? And she said, Oh, I, I never, I never ended up finishing it. And everyone called her Dr. So-and-so. And I was like, so you're not a doctor, <laughs> but anyway, that's totally besides the point. So all that to say, it's great to have you on the show. Happy to be here. 
Well, this is different. I don't think I've had someone on who has your expertise. Tell the audience, tell the listeners, I gave my version of who you are. Um, who are you and what do you do for a living? Okay, so I, I am a clinical psychologist and for many years had a psychotherapy practice and executive coaching. And I write psychology textbooks for college students. And I write for a general audience um, about you, you trying to teach nuggets of scientific psychology, just using other people's fictional stories like Harry Potter or the girl with the dragon tattoo or superheroes. But I became interested in virtual reality about 25 years ago because I had been certified in hypnosis. And in hypnosis, there's a phenomenon called um, dual consciousness or divided consciousness, where you can simultaneously hold the reality of the trance experience and also that you were sitting in my couch in my office, mm -hmm. which is why some people feel like they're not hypnotized because you, you can hold both of those at the same time. And there was a very early psychology of virtual reality literature that started about 25, 30 years ago. And I started reading it and I thought, wow, this sounds wild. It's that same divided consciousness where when you're wearing an immersive VR headset, you have both the experience of the reality of what's ever in the headset, but you also know that your body is somewhere else in space. So I was just fascinated by that. And I started following the literature until it, it grew too big to, to follow anymore. Um, by the way, both hypnosis and VR, when they've done neuroimaging studies, it turns out your brain is registering those experiences as real. Which, wow. which is why they're kind of so cool and successful yeah. and giving you an altered perspective. Um, so I, I was doing collaborating on some research with, um, with a professor at Stanford, who's a big American VR psychologist, when Trayvon Martin was killed and George Zimmerman was acquitted. And that actually kind of led to a surge in Black Lives Matter and that led to some white people saying white lives matter or all lives matter. And again, not that I presume to know the experience of the lived experience of being black in the United States, but from my work and reading, I thought that I knew enough to hypothesize that if, if you could give the people who said all lives matter um, enough of a dose, if you will, uh, in VR of that lived experience, mm. that they might see things a bit differently. That was it was a fundamental sort of lack of deep understanding. Mm -hmm. And that was the idea for the company. And so now what I do is I, I run Live in Their World. And and part of what we do is um, it use virtual reality to in part to help people have a deep understanding of what it's like mm -hmm. to be another. You're 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 talking about unlocking the power of empathy, like for someone to um not just cognitively understand that someone has a different lived experience, but to actually um, feel that and understand that on a deeper level. I mean, that's, that's the potential power of that is pretty incredible, uh, especially mentioning black lives matter. Um, you, you know, we have so many things that are today's culture is so um, divided over uh, maybe divide is not the right word, but there's, there's a lot of tension over certain concepts. And what I have found is 
the people who are most um, resistant are often the ones who are the least knowledgeable on those actual um, lived experiences. So to have something like a VR world that you could, um, uh, you know, not to sound, you know, totally, uh, I don't want to reduce it too much, but, you know, you plug in and you can actually live in that world or get that experience. Um, I, I think the implications of that's pretty exciting. And it sounds like your work on a day-to-day basis is incredibly exciting for what you get to do. It is exciting. And, you know, the most important thing to me, of course, is do no harm on the way to doing good. Mm. And so uh, some uh, DEI, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion interventions actually can do harm. And so it was very important to me before I leapt in with both feet to make sure that we weren't doing harm. So we did a pilot study and the results of that were um, the data were terrific and the comments that we got from people who had the experience, again, it, it, we, we were not doing harm and also doing good. So that was really exciting. And um, the, I, I should say there, there are different pieces and, and part of what we're doing and what I'm most interested in doing is ultimately behavior change. We spend so much of our time in our work lives, whether it's remote or, mm-hmm. or in office now. And um, even in, with remote work, we, we can be disrespected just as easily, if not more so, than in the office. And, and so really what we're about is what we call civility training, which is about respect, which is how do you convey respect to people who are the same as you or different than you and we're all in some mm-hmm. sense the same and we're all in some sense different mm-hmm. um, and how to take in information in a respectful way. And that requires habit change. And that's where empathy comes in because, mm-hmm. you know, as a psychologist, we know a lot about habit change. And, and so you need three pieces of, or three um, strands or three elements one is motivation. It's hard to learn a new habit, uh, you know, just like learning to wear a mask when you go out or, you know, it was ho- we were hopeful we could learn not to wear a mask when we go out. Um, remembering to put sunscreen on, whatever it is, it's hard to learn a new habit. And that's where empathy comes in. It's really critical because once you deeply understand and empathize, that gives you the reason to do the work. Mm-hmm. Right. So, because empathy is great, but but in and of itself, it doesn't necessarily help you to do anything differently, mm-hmm. and certainly not over time. The second strand is you have to understand and know. Well, what should I be doing instead? You know, if I'm not supposed to do X, Y, and Z, what do I do? And I like to use the analogy of giving a kid crayons, and they draw on the floor. And so it's not enough to say, no, don't draw on the floor. You have to say, you draw on paper. And here's where we keep the paper. So yeah. whenever you yeah. want to draw, just take out the paper. I have a, I have a one-year-old. So this is really good for me. So I'm taking notes. <laughs> right. great, it, these are great insights. <laughs> yes. So don't, always always the no comes with, well, what should I do instead? Yeah. Um, you know, don't, don't hit your brother. Instead, you should do this when you're angry. Um, <laughs> so that's the second strand is, well, what do I do 
instead or what I do differently. And then the third strand is really helping people learn and then maintain that new behavior over time. It's, it's really like language learning. And if you don't practice, you just, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. So many of these one-off DEI interventions, even the ones that are really good and powerful and moving, if they're not systemically supported, people forget about them and they just go back to whatever their habit is. And so mm-hmm. that's, so our, our goal is to do, attack all of those three. So let, let's talk about that third one. You know, what does it look like for a company to legitimately develop that kind of systemic um, support for internal change? Because I, I think a lot of times what ends up happening is what you mentioned. It's that one-off training that um, either it's led internally or someone's paid to come in and speak for, you know, four hours. And there's a lot of, um, it's often, it's, easy to pat yourself on the back and say, okay, we did it. You know, (laughs) we are diverse and inclusive. And it's kind of like the way I pair it is I think of like, um, when we talk about culture, uh, developing a strong work culture, what will happen is a group of executives will like throw lunch. They'll they'll grab lunch for everyone and like throw like a pizza party or something. And they'll say, yeah, we, we made our culture. And yet like the manager, there's a manager who's abusive or is micromanaging or um, maybe even worse things that are happening where employees are, are maybe even fearful of telling people about their, their experiences. So there's this gap, there's this disconnect between what that single one-off moment and what is the actual reality of the lived experiences of the employees to develop a diverse and inclusive workplace what are some of the ways you've encouraged your your customers to really habit form towards um, real meaningful change? Terrific question. Uh, let me try to prioritize the, the multiple ways. <laughs> I, I have a really bad habit, by the way, of asking like long tiered questions. <laughs> <laughs> so you just you just pick it apart whichever way you want to, and we'll we'll get no, to it. No, that's great. It's great. So one of the things is is that our program is not a one and done. It's really a subscription as a service over the course of the year. And so that's part one, right? So that it, and and then another piece of that is that we recommend um, at minimum teams go through the program at approximately the same cadence. And that's important so that everyone knows what's expected of them, right? This is the, the, the second element, which is, well, what should I do instead? Is, is that we we tell you what to do instead, right? Sort of what is respectful behavior is really, in some sense, um, in some sense, it may be more complicated, but in another sense, it's not. The, the fundamental aspects of being respectful are the same, no matter what someone's demographic group is, or demographic identity. So uh, if you're telling people what they should be doing, then for leaders, the idea is you have to actually now walk the walk. Mm-hmm. And that can be very challenging for many reasons. And so then you, you need help in doing that. So for instance, one of the, let's take team meetings because that's just a good example, especially as we're remote, because that's the way really culture is, is transmitted is through sort of team or, or other larger group meetings. Um if you see someone or hear someone doing something disrespectful, so as a leader, what do you do? 
you could let it, it well, first there's noticing it, right? If you don't notice it, you can't do anything. And so how, how does the organization help you notice that? So you may have a rotating uh, team position of process person where people rotate being in charge of really just looking at process and it helps everyone then become aware, which is good. You want everyone to be aware. Um, when you see something, how do you say something as a leader? Do you, if you wait to do it in private, that can be more respectful of the person who said the thing, right? You don't want to quote, call them out. Um, however, other people who also saw it, saw that there were no consequences for it. Mm. And so then what happens is it becomes the, the, it's allowed. People think that it is allowed and it's a norm. And so this is where, you know, the soft skills for leadership become so important because it's how do you intervene in a way that's really respectful to everybody? Because shame and blame isn't particularly helpful. Ultimately, it just makes people scared that they're going to get shamed and blamed. So it's, it's how do you do that? And, and part of that is having group guidelines explicitly to talk about, hey, do we interrupt here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just take that as an example. Do we interrupt? If so, why? What, what are the costs? Right. So it's a, it's a discussion. It actually can be a really bonding, helpful discussion of just about values. Um, and that's great because by the end of the discussion, or if, if not then by next week, there should be a guideline about interrupting and what the group consent, either consensus or what you know you as leader decide. And then, and then be really clear about that. And what happens when people interrupt is, you know, it's just, hey, remember, this is our guideline. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I, there, there's so much great data out there around open communication and candid dialogue and the boss understanding. Sometimes it's less about um, top down. This is what everyone needs to do. And more of, I am a, I'm a collaborator of helping people communicate those expectations and, and set the stage for how do we work together? What's interesting is as I'm just listening to it, I'm thinking about this. Some of the stuff feels like, I guess when we're, when we're talking about like from a theoretical point of view, some of it feels like it should be very simple. Treating people respectfully. seems like this should be really easy. Um, and I even, I, I don't dislike the disrespect, excuse me, the respect term. I just know I've met people who've been like, what? I was being respectful. And I was like, no, you, you didn't like yell at the person, but you were actually still being very hurtful. Or like, I, you know, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And the term I think of beyond that is like, um, giving dignity to someone. Like, how are you mm-hmm. giving dignity to the person you were, um, interacting with? And again, this feels like a very simple concept that I, I think about like all of our childhoods, like our parents teaching us, like, don't be an awful person. Yet it feels like in the actual workplace, it gets very complicated and it's not so simple. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's, um, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it feels so clunky when people start working together in a in an office why does it feel like when we talk through these issues that it should be clear how we should behave and yet it gets so challenging in the day-to-day process? 
I actually don't think it should be clear. I mean, there is a sense in which it's clear, but there's a sense in which it isn't because people have different backgrounds. Mm. I, I think just thinking about time, right? That's a great example where, um, you know, someone who's habitually late, I, I may experience that as disrespectful to me in my time, right? right. And they may be oblivious that that, is you know to me a sign of disrespect yeah. <laughs> right or meeting start not starting meetings on time you know the people who show up on i mean these are just a little example but we are all raised with a range of possible anchors of values and so what is respectful to one person isn't necessarily respectful to another and that's the thing about having the the team mm-hmm. conversations. Um, it is complicated. Having said that, none of us is ever going to get it all right because we are different. And so I think the real goal is about having communication and openness and curiosity. So if you tell me, hey, you know, I, I'm really mindful of time. And if you're late, I hear that. It lands on me. It feels disrespectful to me. For me to be open to hearing that, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know that wasn't my intention, but I will now be more mindful about showing up on time or contacting you if I can't. Um, you know, so it's that conversation of how we get to know each other that we really want to have. Doesn't and, it? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 it's just good. Well, I was just going to ask. It seems like the companies that and I don't want to put it too simply. Um, it seems like the companies that have frankly good leadership more naturally, intuitively um, lean into what you're talking about. Like I can envision, for example, going to some kind of event and you're the guest speaker and me thinking, well, I want to be a good boss and I want, I want that to be my work environment and, you know, grabbing your business card and giving you a call and saying, Hey, we want to work together. I'm also thinking about, frankly, the horror stories that we all have of that bad boss. Um, I think it's very relatable, that Sunday night feeling of, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know if I can go to work again. Um, I was reading an awful story about a woman who was so stressed about going back to her job, was so mistreated by her boss that her hair was falling out. And I think about just the, the exhaustion that mm. some of the people listening to the podcast might even be facing now with their job. It, do you, what do you do when you find yourself working with businesses? And maybe they, don't, maybe they don't want your help. I don't know. But working with businesses who their habits are so far gone in the negative direction, do you ever find yourself working with people who are just unwilling to change or unwilling um, to change their habits, their behaviors, especially bosses, their communication style, especially if it's a boss who's maybe they've been in their leadership position for 20 years and it's, it's just who I am. What do you, what do you do with that? Yes. So if it's an individual who is, uh, has that perspective, it's actually potentially workable because Otherwise, why are we involved? Somebody has brought us in. (laughs) And so, you know, one of the things that we know 
is what a growth mindset, which is the idea that I, I can learn, I have the capability to grow and change. Uh, people who with a growth mindset do much better in organizations these days than people with what's called a fixed mindset, which you just described, which is this is how I am. Yeah. Right. As if I am unchangeable. And so sometimes you can get people, I mean, I, with my coaching work, um, in our coaching work, you can see where you can get people motivated to do the work because there are consequences for them if they don't. They don't have to change their fundamental beliefs. They have to at least act incredibly well. <laughs> so it looks like they have because it, um, it affects the organization. It affects attrition. It affects branding. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you are a bad boss and not particularly interested in learning to be a better boss, it's very bad for your organization. So, you know, if they're bringing us in, they want you to, to do the work. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it seems like your work has the, um, you have a multitude of, uh, opportunities to see some really rewarding things happen. You know, I, again, I think back to that employee who, is nervous and stressed and exhausted and to have someone like you come in and sort of, um, I mean, those are the stories that really matter. The company that is going one way and they realize, Hey, we haven't developed the culture we want and they're willing to shift and go an entirely different way. And you have employees who say, Hey, I hated it here. And now, now I really like it here. Now I really feel valued and appreciated. Um, what's, what's some of the best parts of your job on a day-to-day basis? On a day-to-day basis. Well, the best parts are always where I can be directly helpful versus indirectly helpful. It's just more rewarding. Um, I think uh, finding new ways to be helpful is uh, incredibly rewarding. So, you know, with new coaching clients or we we have um, leadership training that isn't a one and done because one and done's don't work. So of course we're using mm-hmm. points of learning around our leadership training and just hearing, um, you know, the ways that we have been helpful is incredibly rewarding. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I, I run into people who were in our pilot program and a year later, they're telling me the ways that they changed their behavior because it was so impactful. And that was incredibly gratifying. Mm. Well, talk to me about the, one of the things I like to do with people who come on the show is the nitty gritty journey of actually starting a business. I think it's fun mm-hmm. for my listeners. Some of my listeners are, they're in it. They've been running their own businesses. Other, mm-hmm. of my, other ones of my listeners are in their nine to five job and they listen to the podcast to live vicariously through someone mm-hmm. like yourself. So you've, you, you came across, um, you, you found this world of VR and you saw the opportunity there to really um, help businesses in a meaningful way. What did it look like to actually start the business to, um, you know, I'm even curious, like to start to pitch and promote the business. What were people's reactions? Um, what, what's the growth journey looked like for you? So it's been fascinating and somewhat atypical. I, had the idea and I was living in San Francisco at the time and um, knew some venture capitalists because if you live in the Bay area in a certain, sure. <laughs> you just, that's, you know, it's in the water. Right. Um, 
and and so I mentioned the idea and said, I, you know, I'm not a business person. If you know someone who can make use of this, I'd be happy to, to, to tell them more about it. Um, the VC thought it was a really good idea. Um, that was that, you know, I had, had business, I already had a job, you know, did job I loved. Um, and then me too happened. And the VC contacted me after me too, or I said during me too era and he said, remember that idea you had? We'd like to fund you to do a proof of concept for gender. So I agreed to do that on the side. And that was the pilot that I was telling you about, making sure that we could do good and um, and it wasn't harmful. And so we got the data and it was so good. And the um, comments we got were so good that I felt like if I can make a difference I that was my new calling. <laughs> so, and are, were so these I, were these men who were these using were men the, of any color who were um, experiencing the perspective of Anna, a white woman who was thirty five, and it's really just kind of scene after scene of what what typically women of any color go through. The character, the, you know, Anna was white, but it was um, just. You know the 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 extra burden. That, I'm just that so curious. I want to I want to try it. I mean, I'm just like this is so intriguing. Um, sorry, I didn't mean I didn't mean to interrupt your story. By the no, way, that's I just, okay. I'm just commenting happy as to, I'm listening. We, so we can get together afterwards. Happy to have you experience <laughs> it. Um, so anyway, you did this pilot study. It was um, incredibly successful, and yeah. from there. So from there, I, you know, had this whole uh, crisis about whether to stop what I had been trained to do for many years and was now quite good at and do this other thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, thought about it and talked to, to friends and family for a month, but, but really felt like if I could move the needle, that was my mission. So I did. And so I, I started doing this full time and learned an enormous number of skills that, you know, well, maybe learned, I tried to learn an enormous number of skills that I didn't have, which was incredibly exciting, by the way, um, just to really be learning so many new things at the same time was uh, really quite fun. And sorting through the things I like to learn versus the things I wasn't so enthusiastic <laughs> about learning was also interesting and, and revealed things about myself to me. Um. So, and then there were different things I was learning at different points in the, in the gearing up process. I don't know if you have specific questions, but. No, no, I just, I, I the thing I'm thinking about is, um, I, I think one of the things I really value about guests like you who come on the podcast, who has started a business, you're running a business is in the entrepreneurship world of, you know, I'm going to go start a business. It feels like there's people in two different buckets, um, there's people who I come across who say, you know, I really want to be an entrepreneur. I really want to leave my nine to five. I want to go make something of myself. It sounds very stereotypical only because that's very common, this same right. line of conversation that I end up having. Right. And then there's this other bucket of people who've started a business who it's, I saw a need that I thought I could help solve. And it's very customer focused and customer centric and, you know, there's a demographic or there's individuals who I know um, have a need, they have a problem that needs to be solved. And I want to add to that. 
And I would put you into that second bucket of um, being very much customer centric and customer focused. And it seems like people who I have on the podcast who are running really cool businesses are also in that same line of thinking mm. of just thinking about, okay, there's, there's good that I want to do for people. How do I take my skill set and my insights and add to that rather it, rather than it, I guess the temptation for a lot of us as business owners or speaking for myself, um, mm. the temptation for myself is, you know, what am I building for my legacy or my brand or my, um, which isn't inherently a, a wrong question. It's just, I think we get into trouble when, you know, my own personal ego becomes more important than, than maybe the customers that I'm actually helping. Um, not so much a question for you, just an appreciation of your journey. Um, Cause I just, I like hearing stories of people who have started businesses out of a desire to help people. And that sounds like that's what you're doing. Thank you. I, I mean, it is a desire to help people, but you know, it started with an idea, with an hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of mulling over about VR and 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 if you know um, sort of if George Zimmerman, I mean if if that whole arc hadn't happened right then, I don't know that I would have thought of it because you know VR was top of mind around the time that he was killed and George Zimmerman was acquitted because I was doing the research. So that's that's a lot of the fortuitous journey for entrepreneurs. You know, it's. it's um, you know, out of COVID, there are all kinds of new startups that have happened for various and sundry reasons. And um, as you know, the entrepreneurship journey is really such a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. It, it, the irony for me is, is I, I, I've been doing executive coaching for, for startup founders. And so I, you know, I thought I knew. And and I had family members who were founders, but but it's like having kids. You could babysit all you want and have nieces and nephews, and it's just not the same. I love it. So true. Well, Robin, it has been so great having you on the podcast today. Anything else you want to share about your business, uh, Live in the World? Uh, just to let people know about our your program, feel free to contact me. I'm sure the ways to contact me are in the notes, but it's robin at liveintheirworld.com. Um, we have downloads, uh, freebies. Just go to our website uh, with backslash publishing, and there's always a, a white paper on there that people can have. The current one is uh, giving and receiving feedback, best practices, although it may be different by the time some listeners get there. And um, yeah, leadership training, executive coaching, and, and our VR program. Robin, it was great having you on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Blake. It's been great. Great questions. Thanks. Great. Dr. Robin Rosenberg on the podcast today, and I'm going to put her contact information. I'm also going to put the website, liveintheworld.com. It's going to be down in the episode description below, which by the way, if you enjoyed this episode, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button, click that follow button. So you can keep getting good advice wherever you are, and you can keep listening to great guests like Robin on the podcast. Also, don't forget if you love the podcast, you want to support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash good advice, where you can even get your business sponsored and introduced of the podcast. Again, go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash good advice. And as always, I appreciate your support and we'll catch you later. See ya.